Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our fifth episode, I'll be talking to Christina Grace, one half of the Unfriendly Black Hotties, about the secrets of the great illustrated classics. Along the way, we'll discuss the allure of horse books, the internal politics of a farm, and how milk, a cheese sandwich, and mountain air can heal anything. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and tell you how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. So for listeners who may not know you, why don't you tell the world why you're a beautiful and unique snowflake? Ooh, where do we begin? I am one half of the Unfriendly Black Hotties. I am a beautiful and unique snowflake because I believe that I am a, an ocean creature who was taken from her land of the ocean and just waiting to get back in there, you know? I'm like a selkie, pretty much. Good start. Good start. We're deep into myth- mythology and that is a wonderful thing. So... You wanted to come on the show today to talk about something very important to you. Super. But first, let's get into you a little bit. So where did you grow up? I grew up in New Paltz, New York, which is uh, about an hour and a half north of New York City. It is a, a charming farm town with lots of old hippies who moved away from Woodstock but didn't want to leave the, the, the glorious upstate region. I lived there for my whole life. It was very, it was a lot of white people and hippie <laughs> stuff and a lot of tie-dye, but also very beautiful and uh, an excellent place to grow up, I would say. Okay. So what kind of upbringing was it? Were you like a free-range kid roaming the town? Was it a brothers and sisters? Like, what was the, the situation? I have one younger brother. We had a lot of free range, but there wasn't really anywhere to go. Like our house is like a 10 minute drive from the main town area. And our neighborhood is not so much a neighborhood. Like we did not trick or treat in my neighborhood because the houses are too far apart. And oh, it was no. like not fun. So we would like go to like a friend's house that lived in the suburbs, like in, the, in a more like cul-de-sac-y area to actually trick or treat. And then we'd come back to the country where we lived. I have very fond trick or treating memories of... Uh, when I lived in a place that was called uh, Elm Court, which was in Fredericton, and because it was three courts in a cul-de-sac, you could basically stay on the same sidewalk and hit every house in all three streets. It was a particularly good Oh, that's setup. good. That's a good setup. Yeah, no, we didn't have that. So I had free range of the woods near my house, mm-hmm. and that was cool. And it was, like, the cool thing to do after school, when we were, like, in middle school, to, like, go downtown, to, like, downtown New Paltz and, like, hang out <laughs> in town. It wasn't actually that cool, but we were in middle school. And we thought it was really cool. Yeah, it's the, uh, hey, you know, I'm, I, I got to be back by nine, but until then, I'm my own person. Watch out, world. Exactly. Exactly. Watch out, world. I'm getting high <laughs> on Main Street, and I'm cool. <laughs> I remember that, actually, from, from some of my high school years as well. It was, it was, it was King Street for us, but yeah, the same mm. idea where it's like you would basically just go down and sort of wander around, you know, go into stores and not buy anything. Because, yep. hey, man, you were free. You could do what you wanted. Yep. We went to the one deli on Main Street, and then we would, like, sit on a bar, like a park bench <laughs> and just, like, sit there for hours. And that was, like, cool. The thing that seems strangest in hindsight 
is that we would go to the Sheridan, which was the biggest hotel in Fredericton, and we would walk into the lobby like we had a room there, and then go and like hang out at the lounge and stuff, <laughs> and would like do things like you know steal silverware off of the the room service trays that had been left out. I don't know Ooh, why. Rebels. I, I, th- I, I don't even remember why. You can't just, stop me now. I got cutlery. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think we had seen Mystery Men the previous year and we're practicing throwing mm. forks. I think that was gotcha. about it. <laughs> we had motel parties when I was in high school, so like someone would like rent like a cheap motel room and like that would be like where we partied. <laughs> it was sad. Yeah, it was. Also, I'm wondering how that would happen. Don't they have to like you have to like get a give ID to rent a motel or was or was yeah, the you, motel person like down with you guys? It, they didn't really care. I don't think the Motel 8 got a lot of customers, aside from, like, high school kids trying to have parties, so they were pretty laissez-faire. That's, like, two better than Motel 6. It is! A hall, too. We also did a lot of camping. That's where, like, most of the, the drinking occurred. Oh, I imagine, yeah. Because there was else to go. I also hate camping, so... See, none, none of us, when I was a teenager, had a driver's license, so we couldn't, mm. we couldn't do the whole Marty McFly, drive the truck up to the lake kind of thing. Yeah, life really changed for the better when we all got cars and driver's licenses. <laughs> See, I, I still have to get my driver's license. I'm 34 years old, and I don't know how to drive. Yeah, you got to have a driver's license. <laughs> Which is what my girlfriend keeps saying, and she said repeatedly, because the thing is, it's, it's never been a priority for me, because we, Sydney has always had good public transport. And so I, it, it doesn't occur to me. And then she'll bring it up and I'll go, yeah, maybe I will go you know, do driver's ed or something and, and get into it. And then it just like falls off the focus of my brain because it's been off my focus for 34 years. So why should it stay now? Right. And then like two, like, you know, two months later, she'll be like, what, where'd you get to go and get your license? And I'm like, she's like, oh, is there a block? Do you not want to do this? And I'm like, no, I, I just literally have never thought about it. <laughs> I just forgot again because yeah. it doesn't matter to me. Yep. Because she drives, and so anywhere we need to go, she can drive, and I think that might be the reason why I need to get it. Yeah, she's probably sick of, like, ferrying you around. Yep. <laughs> so, in a nutshell, what sort of kid were you, apart from the camping and partying and hanging out downtown? <laughs> I do want to be clear, that made me sound a lot cooler than I was. I was <laughs> not cool at all. I was your your typical, like, nerdy read-a-lot kid. I had many a babysitter that would like worriedly call my parents and be like, so Christina hasn't moved for hours. She's just reading a book. (laughs) Is she okay? And my mom would be like, yeah, that's what she does. Like remind her to eat something, but pretty much she's going to find a book, sit down and then read a book. (laughs) And that's it. Like that's all she does. So I was a huge reader. Also quite a bit of a nerd. Always the class clown. Always here to crack jokes and like make dumb, dumb comments in school, but I was not cool. We would not call me cool. I was not a cool kid. I'm sure you were cooler than you thought. Maybe, but I'm kind of glad I didn't peak in high school. That would have been sad. No, that's a terrible thing. Um, it's a it's terrible funny. thing. I, I was watching some wrestling with some friends yesterday, which is why my voice is a little bit croaky from all the yelling. Mm-hmm. And at one point, this guy, Austin Aries, comes out, and he's got like a Caesar haircut where it's like flattened down on his forehead, but otherwise like buzz. Oh, yeah. And I looked at that, and I went, that is the haircut of a guy who beat your ass in high school, now runs a car dealership, and really needs to use to buy a car from him. He needs that sale. And <laughs> he now needs he wants, that sale. And now he wants to be your bro. Oh, that's sad. He's like, remember? Remember we were friends? We were friends in school? And we were like, yeah, no, like, no, no, we were never no, friends. No, we were not friends. You pushed me into my locker. 
Yeah, I thankfully went to a very tiny high school, so we all had been in school from kindergarten until we graduated. So by the time we got to high school, we were kind of like, whatever, I know you guys, you know me, we're just going to get through this, these four years, there's no need to start any nonsense, hang out, be cool. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I I never got to experience moving around the way I did, but the idea Mm. of having the same class of people from sort of start of school to finish. And it's like, I remember hearing someone talk about it once and saying like, oh yeah, if you did something embarrassing in like grade five, it's like that would still get brought up in high school. Oh yeah. All of our like senior memories in our yearbook were like, LOL, remember that time we said Chris Lezinski could like blow himself in fourth (laughs) grade? Like what? Like guys, what? Oh my God. I was, cause I was waiting for, like, you know, nice, <laughs> nice trivial nope. things, Mm-mm. cute stuff. Nope. It's like, oh, yeah. Remember that, that auto fellatio guy? Lezinski, what a cut up. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he started that rumor about himself. You All know, right. it was nope. weird. You, you do you, Chris Lezinski. <laughs> I think he's good. Oh, God, I just realized I just made a terrible pun. <laughs> you do you. <laughs> <laughs> this is off to a great start, really. This is off to a bang up start. I'm loving this. Okay, so coming back to your topic, you wanted to talk about the great illustrated classics. So tell me a bit, a little bit about, first, what are the great illustrated classics, and then your relationship to them. So you know how everyone's like, oh, have you read this classic novel? And either you have, and you're like, oh yeah, I read that in high school, or you haven't, and you still say that you read it in high school, so people think you're cool. Mm-hmm. I realized kind of midway through college that all of the books that I thought I had finished at like a, as like a super smart eighth grader were all like lies and adapted novels from the Great <laughs> Illustrated Classics series. And I actually like, I've never read Gulliver's Travels. I've read the Great Illustrated Classics version of Gulliver's Travels, but I've not actually read the novel itself. So I have a lot of like, oh yeah, I read that book, but I super didn't. I read the... <laughs> like the abridged illustrated version for children. But I read, I think almost all of them. I had a shelf in my room that was just all great illustrated classics and I would read them constantly. They were so important to me. See, the minute you mentioned the, I, I was originally thinking when you sent me the the link that I'd only read the Heidi one. When in fact, as you just say that, I'd specifically remember the Gulliver's Travels one and then reading it and thinking, okay, well, this is a book. You know, I remember he goes to see the little people and then he goes to see the big people and then he lives in like a lunchbox for a while. Yep. And then a wasp attacks him and then he goes home because his his box floats away. (laughs) It totally skips the communist horse people in that book. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot you're missing when you've based all of your like classic literature novel like knowledge on uh, adapted books for children, it turns out. (laughs) But yeah, my favorite, I'm pretty sure... Heidi was a good, a really good one. I definitely thought when I was sick for like a long time that all I needed was like a hearty glass of milk and like mountain air. Butter. All the butter and cheese. Just like cheese, like a good cheese sandwich and some mountain air would fix anything. I definitely thought that (laughs) exclusively because of Heidi as a child. Yeah, I I could see Heidi, that particular version of Heidi being responsible for a lot of people's like sea change back to nature lifestyles and realizing that you know when you're away from all those things you're also away from modern plumbing refrigeration (laughs) a number of other amenities a number of other amenities i think my favorite i think the one i read the most was the swiss family robson i thought it was the greatest book of all time (laughs) because it also skips through like weird colonialism because it's just like, oh, this family got stranded and have to build a house in a tree. And all I wanted to do was build a house in a tree and like ride an emu. I thought that was the coolest thing. Same for me with uh, 
is it My Side of the Mountain? When oh, they, uh, I loved My Side. It's like, you know, it gets off and has like a, a hawk buddy and a raccoon buddy. And uh, as I learned from listening to the over the Overdue episode, I totally forgot that he also has this random dude who comes around, Bando. <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot that he had Bando. In my head, he just lived in that tree and hung out with his like falcon or whatever. And that was it. Like, that's all I remember from that book. And I remember being so crushed because, spoiler alert from My Side of the Mountain, circa 1976, but then the hawk gets shot and dies. Yeah! And he, like, flips out at the dude, as you would. Right. That, you know, your best animal friend has just been killed for no reason. And the dude's like, yeah, whatever, man, it's a hawk, you know, no biggie. And I remember getting so mad because the book never, nothing else happens after that. He's just sad for a bit. I'm like, dude. You just like it'd be the equivalent of someone shooting your dog and being like, whatever, man, it was a dog in the forest. And I'm just like, no, right? Just like move on now. Yeah. First off, most most falcons are endangered. You just shot an endangered animal. Like even 1989, Lucas was upset about that, and 2016, Lucas is equally upset about that. Still mad. Yeah, still mad. Be mad forever. Yep. I'm looking at the Great Illustrated Classic website right now, mm. and there are some that I did not have that I oh, wish wow. I did. What great book do you feel would have been appreciated more by you if you had a Great Illustrated Classics version? I don't know if I would have appreciated this book more, but I'm very interested in the fact that there is The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. That is hilarious to me. Yeah, I actually saw that on the site too. There's a whole section for what is the equivalent of universal horror. You've got Dracula, you've got Frankenstein, you've got all the... And I remember just looking and thinking... Gosh, you know, what What would you, I, I presume you would, you know, cut out all the ass- assault and, you know, creeper activity of the Invisible Man. And, uh, oh, you know, that thing where Mr. Hyde knocks a baby out of the carriage and Jekyll and Hyde, I think they'd skip that. I think they did skip that. I had, I definitely had Jekyll and Hyde and I think they did skip that. I don't think I had Moby Dick. I'm interested in an abridged version of Moby Dick. Oh my God. Really? <laughs> it's like. Like, what would it even be? So there's this whale, and this guy's chasing them. It's basically like a Roadrunner cartoon, but with more graphic descriptions of blubber and death. It has to be. I, I'm, like, considering ordering some great illustrated classics. Oh, I don't wow. know. I could see this as, like, you know, a sister podcast to Overdue. We could just be, like, illustrated classics. <laughs> Exclusively read the classics. Yep. As long as they're abridged and have illustrations on every fourth page and i think the tone of the podcast would have to be like sort of this weird righteous anger where you're like well yeah clearly this other one added all this stuff that was not in the original text i do not remember any horse people in gulliver's travels i don't feel that we'll see why you feel the need to add them in your version absolutely thankfully righteous anger is one of my go-to emotional spaces so (laughs) it's an easy card to play i think we'd be great yeah it's an easy card to play yeah so the great illustrated classics were super important to me but also horse books were very important to me see i i raised this with camille but i don't think i got the the response that i expected tell me about your horse books experience okay let's full disclaimer i did ride horses for a period of time in my youth before i started swimming because, again, I grew up in a very white town, and those are my chosen activities. And, and while you rode horses, you were not, in fact, a pony girl. I was not a pony girl. Do not Google that. <laughs> don't. Don't. Save yourself, friends, fair listeners. Um, so I believe I started with the Saddle Club books. Oh, that I'm going to jump in just there because I sure. worked in a bookstore. And mm. uh, the Saddle Club books are Australian. 
and they are so beloved by many generations of Australian young women and young people of all sorts that I would have to go and shelve those Saddle Club books where they had been spread out in a fan away from the shelf in the kids' section. It was terrifying. They were my absolute favorites. I read all of them. I think all of them. There was over a hundred. There were so many of them. And then there was like the the second set of books when they went to high school. Let me tell you, that was crazy. I still own all of those as well. I recently reread most of them when I was home for a weekend because I found them at my parents' house. <laughs> and what, what was your discovery upon rereading them? Nothing happens. Those were like the most boring teens on the face of the earth. No one went to any parties. No one did anything but like be wholesome and like ride horses. horses. That's all they did. There was one where one of the characters cheated on a test so she could like continue going to the barn after school because like the owner of the barn had like a rule that you had to have at least a, I don't know, be average to continue to ride. And she was like like slipping in classes so she cheated on a test and that was like the biggest drama that happened in the saddle club books please mr stevenson let me go to the barn after school again it just sounds like a different sort of story i just want to muck out some stalls you know and have a great time so i read those and then when i was done with those i moved on to the thoroughbred series Now, the Thoroughbred series was exclusively about racing horses in Kentucky. Okay. It was very dramatic. Horse farms are a a surprising amount of internal politics at the horse farm about who owns the, you know, the right stallion to create a line of winning race horses. So a lot of that. There are over a hundred of those books as well. I still have most of them. There are a host of many characters. At one point, one of the cousins who grew up in New York and, like, had to have, like, a footloose moment. She had to move to Kentucky to, like, because she was getting to be too bad in her city life in New York. (laughs) And then she had some connection with a horse and then was fine after that, I guess. But also very wholesome and boring characters in those books as well. But it was the connection to the horse. Yeah, more more lungfuls of mountain air and whatever else. (laughs) Yeah, that good Kentucky air, you know, just like the, a good meal, getting up early to take care of a horse. These are the things that can save you. Yeah, working with your hands, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was a big, a big horse book fan as, as, a, as a child, and I guess kind of still now, because I did very recently read them. So there is that. See, I, I remember, um, and I mentioned this with Camille as well, that my, my sister had this compilation that had like five or six different books squished into one, all about like hero, heroic horses. Like, mm. I mean, there was like, there was Stormy, and then there was yeah. Stormy Misty's Foal, and there yes. was one about a donkey that went up the side of a canyon, like, because of his short footedness. And God, there was, uh, oh, there was, uh, I'm trying to think if the Silver Brumby was one of them or whether that was something I found later. But like, all of these ones, and they're, they're essentially anthropomorphized horses where it's like you're in the horse's head as it right. is considering doing this heroic thing. And it's, it, remember just reading it and going, like, was, was this a Vogue for a while where it was like, you know, tales of the open range as told by horses? I mean, Black Beauty was a classic and, you know, was very much from the point of view of the horse, also a stunning film. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think almost like that that segues into something like National Velvet getting the exposure mm. that it does. Which yeah, we also yeah. read in school. I had no idea it was a I film. Th- 
I don't think we read National Velvet, but I definitely did like a lot of pastoral books about nature and like returning to the land as a way of life. Yeah, I mean, it, with my side of the mountain and stuff like that, I think there was um, sort of this, I'm going to use the wrong word here, this sort of naturalist movement or this romantic idea of nature being better than stuff. And then, of course, you look at the films around that time of, like, you know, the 1970s and, oh, yeah, street crime and everything being gritty and falling down and unemployment. And you can see why people would go, yeah, you know what? Trees are nice. I, I like trees. Can I, like, I like a tree. Can I go have a horse? That would be lovely. Yeah. I, do, I think also that kind of segued into my fantasy reading in a nice way. Oh, so let's hear about that then. Oh, I, to the, I mean, to this day, I'm still a diehard like fantasy reader i have read lord of the rings and harry potter many times Mm -hmm. my dad started reading me lord of the rings when i was little but he got bored (laughs) reading it and i just kept reading them like by myself when i you know figured out how to read now watching them the the films is like a, a a christmas classic at the tucker's household it drives my mother crazy that we watch as she says movies of killing and death on christmas day but It's not Christmas until we see, you know, Aragon and Legolas, like, hanging out and kicking kicking some orc ass. And running a lot. <laughs> and running so much. And running so much. Um, so, yeah, I'm a... Was a big... Was and still am a big a big fantasy fan. And I think my, uh, my feelings about pastoral nature and still my love of horses. And again, even if you're in a fantasy novel, you're just kind of having a hard, a meal of, like, hearty bread and cheese on yeah. the road. Bread and cheese, and, that, and sometimes tea, that's always like a th- It's like a through line for me in my, my, like, childhood upbringing of reading. Just, like, cheese is important, and so is being outside, and that's what I need to read about <laughs> inside, away from the outdoors. Totally. So if, if you can remember back, I mean, apart from your dad reading Lord of the Rings, was there any particular sort of person who brought you in to fantasy books? Like someone who like was the first person to hand you something and go, you know, I think that you'll like this. I don't think so. My dad's a big reader. My mom isn't as much. And I, I think I just kind of like sourced books for myself once I realized that like, A, I could read and B, I could go to the, you know, Scholastic Book Fair and pick up whatever books I wanted. It was always like a fantasy <laughs> or kind of sci-fi novel that I ended up... I just, like, fell into it and could not pull myself out for many years. Still haven't. Yeah, I, I think when when you talk about, like, coming up with... Like, dipping into this this canon that's already there. I, I had a, a library in, in middle school that had a, one shelf of science fiction. And I remember, after getting the bug a little bit, going in and thinking, all right, I'll just read this this thing. This thing looks interesting. And there are... I will tell you, there are a lot of terrible 1970s science fiction. I believe it. Or even late 60s and stuff of like, you know, kids in space living on like a bubble habitat and having to go and have adventures with a robot dog. I'm just reading this like, this is terrible. <laughs> like even even by like 1996 standards, I'm like this is this is not good. Or it'll have some weird twist at the end that, oh, you think you're having a normal adventure and it all happened inside a bubble because you were in an alien zoo. And I'm like cool story bro awesome yeah i guess i will say even though my mom wasn't a big reader her favorite book was marianne zimmer bradley's the mists of avalon oh i see so i definitely read that because it was like the only i was like this is the only book my mom like really ever has read and like wants me to read and then when i read that i was like well 
put a fork in me. I'm done. I'm reading all of these. <laughs> yes, yeah, see, I, I can recall my um, my feminist mother uh, renting the Mists of Avalon movie with Angelica Houston. And... Oh, I own it on DVD. Oh, of Please course believe. you do. <laughs> and me watching it's it. It's so important. It's, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's something. <laughs> it's so bad. It's overwrought. It's so as bad. Hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I love it. Yeah, I've read that book like. I'd say a comfortable 10 times. It's so long. Mm-hmm. It's so, so long. Yeah, and there's also all these like prequels and sequels about the app, like about the aisle and what happens on the aisle and all the priestesses. And how it's Brigadoon, yeah. but they can never actually say Brigadoon. And yeah. It's just, it's Brigadoon. Yeah. It's just definitely Brigadoon. And um, I like to call it Pern Syndrome, which is where it's like you've got this, oh, we've got a few books, but you know what would be great? If we had like, 30 books. Yeah. And then we include dolphins somewhere. Because people like dolphins, right? Those test very well. I like dolphins quite a bit, you know, because they are my sea friends. <laughs> Another facet that I found in a lot of fantasy was that people would sneak Arthurian legend into stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I read I read the majority of uh, Susan Cooper's The Dark is Rising series. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then got to the end, and it just turned into King Arthur. And I went, wait, what? I... I was I would I was reading this thing about, you know, basically the famous five discover the holy grail and then it was about, you know, magic powers and special charms you put on your belt and stuff. And then there was a a, a witch that lived underwater and I didn't really understand that one and then everything was high fantasy. Yeah, I unsurprisingly have a very fo- a deep fondness for high fantasy after reading so much of Arthurian legend disguised as, you know, feminist laughs, I guess. And the thing is, those, those books are intimidating. You see this doorstopper, like a David Eddings book or something on a shelf, and you think, do I really, do I have that in me to step into that world? Whereas um, I was handed the first four Wheel of Time books as a single present from one of my aunts. And I'm like, okay, you know, here are some books to read. And you start to read the first one, and you look at the back of the third one, and it spoils the ending of the first one. You're like, oh, well, now I know what's going to happen. Great. You know, I could not get into the Wheel of Time. You're not alone. Trust me. I tried. It's It's so up my alley. And I read the first two or three. And all I kept thinking was, like, if you guys would just effectively communicate with one another... Oh, my God, yes. ...this book would be over in, like, three seconds. Someone needs to, you know, one power up a cell phone, and you need to talk to you, and you need to talk to you, and all of you need to stop fighting and arguing with one another, and we'll be okay. Just be like, hey, I can do magic, and then the other guy can be like, oh, cool, I think I'm low-key a wolf guy, and then everybody (laughs) would just figure it out. Yeah, and the other guy's like, hey, I I was evil for a bit, but now I have a bunch of memories in my head that makes me real cool, and I have adventures and stuff. Oh, and I can always pick a coin flip. I don't know why. (laughs) Could have just said the words. We could have all just come to the table, put all of our powers on the table, and figured it out. It was just too long. Oh, well, it, it went to, I think it was 15 books overall. He died, like... Before they were done, right? Yeah, he died, and what he did is that, because he knew he was dying, he was quite sick for a long time, and he essentially bequeathed his notes to uh, an author I'm quite a fan of, uh, Brandon Sanderson. Oh, yeah, I like Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, the Mistborn and, like, Elantris and a few other ones like that. The Mistborn series is real good. Mistborn's really good. Yeah, it is. I remember someone trying to to, explain, to tell me, it's like, oh, I don't like it because it's essentially, the, uh, you know, a, you feel like you're reading a D&D manual. I'm like, that's why it's awesome. Because that's they, why it's great. Because then they have an action sequence and you know exactly why it works. Yeah. 
I like knowing exactly why things do the things they do. Yeah, and and the thing is, when Brandon Sanderson took over, the plotting got so much better. Like, everything, like, it went from, okay, it was meant to be one giant book to finish it, and it then went to, okay, I'm going to split this into three, but shit's going to get done. That's nice. And he did it. Except for there were a couple of characters that he didn't quite get the voices of, Mm. uh, which is sad because they were some of my favorites, but eh, it 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 finished. Uh, And then I can go and read the, the Mistborn sequels, which are westerns, and they're really, really good. <laughs> I don't know if I've read them. Uh, they're called, uh, it's, it's um, because there's the three Mistborn books. Yep. And then there's one called The Alloy of Law, Ooh. which basically takes it, because they're in a medieval setting in Mistborn. Right. And it jumps it forward to sort of, you know, a couple of hundred years later. And yeah, it's essentially a western tale, but with magic, with that kind of functional magic that they have in the original series. Yeah, I'm into that. It's, that sounds great. It's surprisingly awesome. Like I remember just like tearing through that first one. And yeah, there's now two others that have come out. And I've got them on Audible, but now they're backed up along with all my Audible stuff. And I'm just like, there's so much. I have so much to listen to. There's, there's so much in the world to read and watch and listen to. It's very stressful. Yeah, I'm also uh, one of those people where it's like I'll go to like a secondhand store and someone will be like, oh, you know, classic books for $2. And I'll just pick stuff at random. And then I'll get home and I'll, and I'll add them to the pile of other random classic books that I need to read. See, if you were buying the great illustrated classics, that would be a lot easier because it would take you probably 10 minutes to read one. That's <laughs> because I could knock that over in a weekend. So <laughs> actually, that raises a, a question I wanted to ask. If you were to take any book that you've read in your life and put it into a great illustrated classics edition, what would it be? Yo. Okay. Okay. Hmm. May- it might be the Wheel of Time series. <laughs> like, what if the whole Wheel of Time series was a great illustrated classic? That'd be great. <laughs> I would love that. I would actually read that. And then I could be like, oh, yeah, I read the Wheel of Time. I would say every Twilight Zone. If every Twilight Zone episode, instead of being an hour, was like something you could read in 10 minutes, that would be awesome. It's it's like uh, there was a, oh God, there was an interstitial thing on Futurama where they called it the scary door and it was Maurice LaMarche doing his best Rod Serling and they would just compress an episode of Twilight Zone down into like six seconds on TV where it's like, I've created the most evil creature on the planet and the cage opens and he's like, turns out it's man. (laughs) The end. (laughs) That's awesome. I was like, yes. See, I could never watch Twilight Zone because I am a huge scaredy cat, and it scared me as a child, and I could not engage. I was like, nope. I couldn't get into X-Files. I was like, I'm going to be too scared of this. Yeah, X-Files scared me. I was a chicken. Specifically an early X-Files episode called Eve, which involved, like, clones of little girls. Pass. And how they were secretly evil and would, like, poison you while you sleep. And one of them was a grown-up, and she was, like, locked in a straitjacket because she bit a guard's eyeball. And my si- my sister and I were watching that, and I was maybe, like, 11, and she was 13, and we were both like, nope, nope, too scary. We got through it, though. But what I was really into was the 90s Outer Limits series. Ooh, that's not ringing any bells. It was a revival that they did, and they did the whole, like, oh, you know, we are now controlling what you see in here at the beginning. But it was basically, like... A little bit like a masterpiece theater thing where obviously it's an anthology series like The Outer Limits always is. But it was where TV stars of the time would do guest spots. So Alyssa Milano was in one that was basically a species ripoff. Or, you know... <laughs> Alyssa Milano. <laughs> oh, yes. And, and it was a sexy one because that was when she was trying to shed her good girl image. Oh, yes. Very important. And stuff like, you know, you'd have Treat Williams in one of them or Bo Bridges. And I'd be watching them with my dad. I'm like, I know who that guy is. And he's like, yeah... Yeah, this guy's slumming it. 
Like, Bo Bridges got to have a colony of little spiders that worshipped him as a god called the Sand Kings. And that was... That sounds scary. It was scary. Like, his dog fell into the vat and they, like, piranhaed him. And I remember being like, okay, I'm not letting my dog near any anthills, ever. No. Anthills are bad for dogs. For sure. <laughs> for sure can't do it. Especially space anthills that would, like, sculpt Bo Bridges' face out of sand to show that he is their god. <laughs> yeah, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I remember even the first season of the reboot of Doctor Who, when they had that episode about the kids in the gas masks asking oh, for their mom. Are you my mummy? So terrifying. That's a really Nightmares. good episode, though. That was it's one of the so good. And thing is, that was one of those episodes that really turned me around on because I didn't come to New Doctor Who until a very late age because we didn't really get it in Canada except for you know at midnight on CBC. And then I came here where tons and tons of Australian kids, either with English parents or Australian parents, were huge into Doctor Who, and it was just this world mm-hmm. I didn't understand. I think it was like a Sunday afternoon, and I just went, you know what, I'm gonna sit down and start watching the new one. And it was silly for a bit, but I think it was that episode. Uh, it was The Empty Child, it's called, and The Doctor Dances is the sequel. Yeah. And they that was the one that made me go, okay, you can do something, like, legitimately scary with this. And also, that one yeah. had a happy ending, which made me feel good. I, I get really down about downer endings. And so I was happy to see that that... That does have a happy ending. There were some genuinely scary moments in Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Like, that was terrifying. Obviously, the Weeping Angels are the most scary thing that one like victorian clock people oh that was the one that was actually a really good episode too that was the one with madame pompadour and yeah that that was very scary too those ticking people i did not like that yeah that they basically they they'd rebuilt bodies for themselves whenever they could find so they were just these like weird clockwork assassins yeah also very scary but also a really emotional episode because you had this romance with one person going the slow path and the other meeting them every now and again which come now that i say it out loud sounds a lot like the time traveler's wife but this was better because it had david Tennant. yes uh we can we can just move we can move right along from the time traveler's wife we don't need to discuss (laughs) that film or book we don't have to talk about it yeah well i I talk about some stuff that needs a illustrated classics version yes 1010 would read (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> would also probably read a great illustrated classics of like twilight that would be funny so there's like this girl and there's a vampire <laughs> and they're in love but they can't for some reason but then they do the end right it would it would be so awesome <laughs> i would just love to see the illustrations like those weird like old time sketches of like edward sparkling in the <laughs> edward sunlight walks the car from crushing bella <laughs> And it's, uh, I so remember great. It was always the, the illustrations that, like, illustrations with description are fine. Because then it can be like, all right, that's a person. That's what they look like. They're given a name. Like, oh, Dr. Whatever does this thing. And you're like, okay, that's what that guy looks like. But the one where it would just be, like, someone looking at someone else, and then the caption would just be, like, a spoken line. Yeah. Look what I can do now. Or something. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? Who's saying that? What's happening? Who's saying that to who and why? <laughs> I have a, a book that I bought because it was uh, it normally would have been one of those books that you see next to the checkout, like the little humor books uh, at a bookstore. Yeah. And I, I bought it on special because it was two bucks. I'm like, that's exactly how much funny I'm going to get out of this, I reckon. Uh, and it's like the, the strange happenings at something cottage. And what it is, it basically takes out of context illustrations from classic books and, like, builds a ridiculous story around it. That's a brilliant premise. Yeah, and it's like, because, frankly, all the women look the same in those books. Sure do. Someone with, like, a, you know, a dark hair and a serious bun and a flouncy skirt. And, like, a parasol. Yeah, and it basically made it a story about 
you know, secret drinking and people sneaking off to the corner to have sex and people with a weird obsession with harpsichords. And yeah, it, it was actually really funny. Yeah, that's brilliant. I ended up getting, for all I paid $2, I may have gotten $3.50, maybe even $4 worth of funny out of that. That is, that's a bargain, my friend. <laughs> that's the definition of a bargain right there. So I, I, I want to ask this because I want to see if I was the weird kid. Sure. And I think that's part of the reason I'm doing this show is I want to get some kind of rapport around this. When I would read books when I was a kid, I was always the lay on the stomach with the pillow under the chin, hold the book out in front of you, kid. Mm -hmm. But you can't do that forever. So if you get a really good long book, you then try to like roll over onto your back and hold the book up in front of you. And then that would block the light. So you'd have to like lean it backwards and your arm would get tired and you have to switch back to the other. And I think I read the entirety of Jurassic Park when I was 12 doing that. And being, like, incredibly sore, like I'd run a marathon the next day. <laughs> See, I was always, like, a curl up on a couch. Mm-hmm. Like, sitting up, knees tucked up, book in lap for six hours. Like, that was always me. <laughs> and if you tried that now, you'd probably, you know, do terrible things to your body. Oh, I'm sure my knee would be very mad at me. But I didn't do a lot <laughs> of lying down reading, I think. Unless I was, like, in my bed before, like, mm-hmm. going to sleep. Yeah, and did you, did you try to do the read on a car trip thing? Oh, I was a big car trip reader. How did you not get sick? How did you not get seasick? I don't get car sick. I don't know. It just, it never bothered me. You're a monster. I'm so jealous. Because I I would do that, like, when I was really young, I remember taking books on car trips and it being fine. And then maybe at about 14, I would start to get nauseous if I was doing that. And I've, I've since learned that it's because you're looking at a stationary thing while your body feels like it's moving. Right. So therefore, your brain thinks you're poisoned and tries to get you to throw up. Interesting. My brain does not care that I've been poisoned, I guess. <laughs> your brain is super chill. I mean, I guess if I was reading for like, you know, eight hours straight, I would probably get a little queasy. But for the most part, nope. I read many of the books on trips to see my mom's family, like in upstate New York. Like that was always me with a, pu- a pillow and like six horse books. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to travel. Anything else you want to talk about? I don't really have anything else. I was trying to think of like TV shows mm-hmm. as as a kid, but I didn't watch a lot of TV shows as a kid. I really like primarily read. I was not a big fan of cartoons, so I didn't watch a lot of cartoons. Mm-hmm. I was just like mm. the, the I just I mean I watched Zoom and like I will say Camille was right. Gullah Gullah Island was the shit. See, I've, I've had lots of people come back since that episode and have been saying, yes, golly, golly, I don't know. I had no memory of this. Either it just wasn't shown where I was growing up or I've just blocked the memory or maybe I was too old or something. But yeah, yeah, a lot of people have come back and said that was like, hugely formative for them. Golly, golly, Island was pretty formative. So was, you know what, Wishbone. Wishbone. Yeah, Wishbone we got. Yeah. Again, Wishbone, basically the great illustrated classics right. for television show. But just like a dog. <laughs> See, this is why I think I've read so many classic novels. I have not read them, really. I've watched Wishbone and read Great Illustrated Classics. That's all I got. See, I think that that then leads to a shout-out to Overdue yet again, because I think the power of that is to go, oh, yeah, you think you actually you've read this? Yeah, no, no, this, this, this book has terrible things in it. Thank God for Overdue, because now I can listen to all the books I thought I read and be like, oh, I didn't know that. But you know what? I've made it 27 years being a, a classics fraud, so I'll continue. <laughs> I think there's also something when you when you become an adult of a certain age, when you say, like, you can look at it and go, you know what? I don't need to read that. You know? I, yeah. I never need to read Dr. Zhivago. 
I n- I, never. I, 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 don't, don't. I don't need that. I don't. I sure don't. Especially with the power of Wikipedia now where you can just go and look and be like, all right, I've got the beats. Um, no, I, I don't need that. I, like, I never need to read Flowers in the Attic. Thanks, Margaret and Sophie. You, you kind of do need to read Flowers in the Attic. It's really nutty. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> Make you distrustful of donuts. It really does. Though, technically, if you think about it, Wikipedia is like the great illustrated classics of our time. It's just not as oh, well right. illustrated as those books That's were. That's true. Although, how much better would Wikipedia be if it had like this like crude drawings next to it of the event that's happening in the paragraph to the left? It would be so much better. And maybe they would actually get me to donate money to them as they ask me to every time I I've, sign on I to a Wikipedia say, I've, page. I've heard, I've heard they're down with donations. Yeah, yeah they're really into it. Actually, the, the one place where the Wikipedia summary always disappoints me is with comic books where it's like, I'll be reading a series for a little bit and I'll drop away either because I'll lose interest or just I'll forget about it or something. And I'll think, oh, I wonder whatever happened in that in that series. So I'll go and look it up. And something about reading the bullet points of, let's say, 12 to 24 months of comics boiled down to just what happens, it's very easy for you to go, no, that's dumb. That's dumb. I don't ever need to read that. That's stupid. The things that Wikipedia decides to like fully flesh out it's like, why this thing? Like, why this random episode of, like, Breaking Amish? Did we have to have, you know, full three paragraphs about, but, you know, comic books? It's like, eh, here's a bullet point. Yeah. This guy dies. This guy gets new powers. This guy comes back as an earthbound angel. The end. And it's like, that's dumb. When, in fact, you know, the summary to the uh, Colin Farrell movie American Outlaws about Jesse James has a four-page plot summary. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> oh, just quietly, that, that movie also has a, a young Gabriel Macht who later went on to be in Suits. Oh, true. Look at you, making connections, knowing stuff. Yeah. Truly an impressive chap. I'm down. I'm with it. You are with it. You are down. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's kind of my formative life was pretending to read classic novels and um, horse Actually books. Actually reading about horses. Yeah. <laughs> Actually reading about horses and like boys who have magic. That was pretty much it. <laughs> Oddly formative. So if people wanted to find you on the internet, where would they do so? They can find the podcast that I co-host, The Unfriendly Black Hotties, on iTunes and SoundCloud and wherever fine podcasts are sold. We don't sell it, though, so just you can have it for free. Um, we're also on Twitter at The Black Hotties, and you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Grace T, where I tweet um, about West Wing with a lot of feelings, so... And the, o- and the OC. And the OC. I did stop my o- OC watch because I'm rewatching West Wing for the 900th time. But I'll get back to it. I'll get back to it. <laughs> hey, thanks, E.T. Thanks, Lucas, for being my friend. Baby, got them open all over town. Strictly bitch, you don't play around. Cover much grounds. Got game by the town. Getting paid is a forte. Each and every day. True play away. Can't get her out of my mind. Wow. I think about the girl all the time. Wow, wow. East side to the west side. Pushing fat rides. It's no surprise. She got tricks in the stash. Stacking up the cash. Fast when it comes to the gas. By no means average. Thanks once again to Christina Grace for her time. This week's signature cocktail is the Hot Fire Emoji Sour. Some squeamish listeners will find this cocktail a little difficult as it does contain egg white. However, 
egg white is the easiest way to get the richest, thickest foam on a sour. Start with an empty shaker, no ice. This is important. Into this empty shaker, pour one ounce of Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey, one ounce of spiced rum, I prefer Sailor Jerry's, two shakes of cherry bitters, three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup, and one egg white. Put the lid on the shaker and shake vigorously for at least 20 seconds. This will allow the egg white to start to foam. Open up the shaker and add six ice cubes. Close again and shake for a further 30 seconds. Strain into a pre-chilled cocktail glass through a mesh strainer if you have one. Top with a few more lashings of cherry bitters and serve. Essential fuel for when you're not just doing the thing, but doing the damn thing. Enjoy! You are so articulate. Mm -hmm. Shut the fuck up! Ha. Man, I can't do this anymore. Nope. I can't deal with these people. Yep. Hey, as a little kid, wasn't really rap tight. Yeah, they always said I was trying to act white, even though I'm black like night without a flashlight. Guess they rather have me dragging on the crack pipe. Don't enunciate, or you an Oreo. Drink Cavassier, do a little cardio. Better not be corny, though. Better start the party like you Mario. Yeah, entertain me like the Mori show. Don't get me wrong, I swear I really love to dance. And when I'm home, I get jiggy in my underpants. Yep, I pretend I'm popping rubber bands. I will clap my booty like I got a pair of other hands. The Math of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on The Math of You, send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can also directly support the show by going to patreon.com slash lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, and becoming one of our patrons. There are some cool rewards, and I would really, really appreciate it. Follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and Lokified82 on Snapchat. Next week, I'll be talking to author Kate Raculia of This Must Be The Place and Bellwether Rhapsody on the miracle of the Muppets. Join me, won't you? I could fill a couple seats at my shows. I don't play because I shuffle to the beat of my own 808s. Yeah, I let my hair breathe. I let my throat bounce. I'm feeling carefree, then I get a blowout. Till next week, box braids. They gon' stress me, cause I'm looking foxy. I like to wear about four packs. They say my hair will grow I keep so doing like fast. a, ooh, yeah, I'm not gonna set an alarm. No it's packs. Saturday, I wonder what time I'm gonna get up. Seven o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Always when I get up, it's very sad. I've turned old. Yep, and it's one of those things where, I think the pattern actually started. I was house-sitting for my friend Jen. Uh, in a part of Sydney called Petersham. And Petersham is known for having lots of magpies and cockatoos and big angry birds. And what I learned is that that particular street uh, would have magpies that would get into, like, screeching fights in the backyard. And so at, like, you know, half past four, you would have, like, half a dozen magpies having a fight in the backyard and screaming and it sounding like, you know, bloody murder. And then, you, and then you realize you can get so much done in the morning because there's no way you're going back to sleep after that. Not after those birds were fighting. Nope. 
That sounds kind of terrifying. It is a bit. And um, actually, it's not really popularized outside of Australia, but magpies are uh, like a territorial threat in Sydney, where it's like if you're riding a bike or if you're just kind of going for a walk, you'll get swooped. No. Yes. Absolutely uh, not. uh, And they'll, they'll always come at you from behind when you're not looking. No. And you'll hear the little, like, sort of piping sound, and then you get cut. <laughs> no, I don't like that at all. Like, birds should not be allowed to swoop at you. And what's funny is that, like, little birds will do it, too. Like, I'll be walking in the park or something, and you'll see these, like, two swallows that will, like, go past you and cross in front of you and basically just, like, follow you the way through. But when a magpie does it, yeah, it, it's a little different. The, the, people have these, like, um, ideas of what to do to save yourself. Like, kids will go around with, like, ice cream tubs on their head like helmets with eyes drawn on the back of them <laughs> what or or cyclists will um take like cable ties and tie them around the fence in your bike helmet so it looks like spikes so it doesn't seem safe enough for the bird to come in australia is the scariest place on the planet <laughs> you're not wrong i it's crazy there <laughs> that is so nutty um I remember I was listening to a We Have Concerns thing where they talked about uh, there was a, a bat problem in, like, a town, and then they realized that the name of the town was Bateman's Bay. And they're like, ah, ah, I see your problem. You're only an E away from Batman's Bay. There's your problem. There's your problem. That's it. The bat's new. There is actually a suburb in Melbourne called, uh, it's referred to as Batman, but it, it's Batman. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I, took, I took a real silly photo in front of the sign of the train station. I'm honored to know you. 